Space Buddha. Welcome back to the show, guys. Today I have my friend May with me. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah. How are you doing today? Good. I mean, it's been a it's been an okay day. Morning, morning. Yeah, for me it's morning. Even though it's five p.m. over here. Um, what time do you get up today? Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> twelve to one. Actually, around twelve thirty. I didn't want to get up, but I'm like, I have a call to make. I'm like, fuck. So I got up. <laughs> but yeah, I've known you now for a while. We met maybe in March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. March time period. And are we sharing our origin story? Yeah. <laughs> we have mutual friends. That's what matters. <laughs> so yeah, long time listener. First time Yes, I've caller. listened to all your episodes to date. Nice. I appreciate that. I feel that. like I'm part of the... Part of the group? Yeah, I part do. Of the group. That's, 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 you've given me a lot of reviews on the podcast, which I like. Yes. No, I've enjoyed being a part of the process. I love podcasts. So I'm very excited to be here in front of you right now. Yeah. You're like, yes, I got to get to do this. Yeah. No, <laughs> you actually planted the idea that I wanted to start a podcast. Really? And it was like during the whole... Pandemic? The... Asian hate crimes when that was starting. Oh, really? I had like some amazing conversations with my cousin and really? I was like, I want to do a podcast with you. With like, your cousin? Yeah. Cause we share oh, so much history. Okay. So I thought it'd be really cool. Has she suffered a lot of injustice or something? No, no. It's just like talking about our Asian upbringing in Toronto right. and like our whole experience. So yeah, you, you inspired that. It hasn't happened yet. It probably won't happen, but you should do it. Why not? Everyone has a podcast nowadays. There's too much noise. Well, I mean, it's like anything in life, right? You got to roll with the changes. Mm -hmm. So well, during that whole like Asian hate crime thing last year, was it last year? No, it was this year. It was, it was yeah. earlier this year. I actually had a three hour conversation with a group of people in the US, like over video call and whatnot. And it was talking around that and about, you know, the perceptions of, you know, why People have all this animosity and it's like a lot of self-hate too, right? Amongst Asian people. But you should totally do it. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how the sun goes. So, <laughs> your very first time behind the mic. Yeah. So, okay. We, we touched about a little bit about your upbringing, you know, maybe, you know. And actually, I don't know much about your upbringing. All I know is you have your own restaurant. Hello. <laughs> but, you know, maybe tell me about that actually. Oh, you want to start right where I don't want to talk about? Oh, are we going to hide that part? Are we going to hide no, that part? I'm okay. I, I'm, I want to talk about it. Okay. Like I'm using this opportunity to be vulnerable and open and vulnerable to explore that with you. Um, I feel like, you, I feel like that's something you've been kind of like, we've had a lot of talks. I skirt it. I, I don't like talking about it at all. I've no, never okay. liked talking about it. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting why I avoided Do you this think topic with you too. Do you think it's because you don't want people to know about your upbringing or just you just don't want to just something you don't want to delve into? So my work is not tied to my upbringing at all. Right. Okay. So I, I would be happy to talk about upbringing, but it's like very basic. I had nothing special happen to me. Okay. Um, but my work, that's been a topic that we've kind of gone over. Yeah. Like I yeah. don't like talking about it. You're so secretive about it. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want it to be my identity. No. I think that's why. Because I think when, like, I understood you started off, you know, want to go into science. Um, so in high school. Yeah. Basically, I'm a kid that got their worth from pleasing others, right? Get good grades. You're a good, 
like a good student. Yeah, that's that's how I got my pride, right? So in high school, (laughs) my science teacher was just like, you're really good at this. You should go be a doctor. And you're like, yes. And I was like, okay, sure. I'm good at this. Sure. I'll go do this. I'll go be a doctor. So this was in high school. So when you were like, what, 15? Grade 11. So 16. Yeah, 16. So at 16, your teacher's like, I'm going to set your life goal. You're like, okay. Yeah, let's go for it. (laughs) You think I can do it? I'm going to go do it. And how long did you um, try? Like, because. You know, you, you actually like went all the way almost. Yes. Oh, no. So I just did my undergrad in life science at Queens. Right. Um, that's where we know a lot of our mutual yeah, friends. Yeah. Um, but um, no, by second year, I knew it wasn't for me. No, I right? didn't have the same drive as all the kids around me. And then I'm really sensitive. Would you say that about me? Like really yeah. emotional. I'm not emotional, but I think you're on like, was it like the was it, 16 personality thing? You're more of a sensory person. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was volunteering at the hospital. I just found it kind of overwhelming oh. to be in that space. I just like over-identified with the patients and their families. Okay. And I was just like, how can I do this on a day-to-day basis? And then energetically, I knew I didn't have it in me to not get sleep and like do residency. It just wasn't the right fit for me. And I knew Got that it. pretty early on. So so one thing that, because um, I, I was in pharmacy for a long time, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard that on the podcast. Many, many times. <laughs> yeah. So one thing, you know, I learned from people in med school and whatnot, because people do, do actually die when like people that you, you talk to on a day-to-day basis, they need their meds and whatnot. And they're older, like they're in their seventies and, you know, people die. But one thing I think people that were actually studying pharmacy and people that were in med school that were just like getting a job there was, you have to treat them like meat bags. And in a sense, I'm, that's what they teach you in med school, right? I don't know if they teach you that. I think there's a course on that, isn't it? There is. I, but you have to detach I, yourself from that reality, right? Like, yes, you can get emotionally attached to these people, but then it could affect the way you work in the future, right? Can yeah. You, you I don't know? think you should get emotionally attached. There yeah. should be some Disconnect. distance. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But I don't think there's a course to treat everyone like Is there not? Bags. I, I, I heard there was so. a course. I was like, that must be the most interesting course. <laughs> I, I'd be very concerned about our healthcare system. <laughs> don't grab the mic too much because oh. it'll, it'll capture the, the movement. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Got it. So, okay. So... Okay, so after med school, so you, you decided like this ain't for me. Under, undergrad, never undergrad. went to sorry, med sorry. school. Undergrad. Yeah, so then I graduated and I was trying to like Figure see it out. what I wanted to do. And I thought about a whole bunch of different things. Mm. Occupational therapist, midwifery. But then my parents, they had this thriving business and right. they looked at my career choices and they're like, Loy, like, are you crazy? Like, why would you want to work so hard? Like in med school, you mean? No, like, oh, like joining... taking care of other people. Oh. It was all about like, I think financial gain wasn't enough incentive for me to find another career. They were just like, just come work with us. That's that's really interesting. Usually parents like that start small business don't want their kids in, to get into it. Yeah, no. It's kind of like, um, I forgot, there's some comedian or actor, this Asian guy said something similar. It's like... Or I think it was a chef or something. He's like, why the hell do you want to get into the same industry your dad started with? Right? Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, you know, you spent all this time going to school and whatnot. But I mean, it's not a bad business. I mean, it, I think for businesses like uncapped earning potential. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. So they were looking out for my financial That's good. security. So they were like, come work with us. And then it's been 11 plus years there. <laughs> so, so now you're a career entrepreneur. That's great. Uh, haven't done anything myself yet. So I'm a budding entrepreneur. Budding entrepreneur. Yeah, just yeah, what yeah. the boss. 
But, you know, from the time that I've known you, we've had really, you know, long talks about philosophy and other interesting topics. Random random conversations. And I I think you're more of a creative person. Yes. Yeah. I feel like. that's, That's what I'm like. That's like the tension. The tension? Yeah. There's like a lot of tension in my life because there's no creative Outlet. output at work. So, but there could be. There just isn't right now. So generally like, you know, because, you know, I just had an interview and, you know, part of that was how do I align with the business, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like just talking about this topic right now, like the way I, I would look at, you know, your skill set, you know, you're great with food. Like, you know, you've, you're making like garlic oil or whatever. And I'm just like, I have no idea how to do this. <laughs> and I mean, it, couldn't that be an outlet? Like cooking? Yeah. Like, like, okay. So one thing I've realized this past year is food is in itself art. Mm-hmm. You know, like you go to like restaurants, like, um, what is it called? Uh, like aloe and whatnot. And, you know, you're not full after a $500 meal. Mm-hmm. You know, you go there, it's because it's art. It's, it's, you're there for the experience. Yes. I think Toronto dining is all about experience. Yeah. And, and usually you have to go to McDonald's after for a second meal. <laughs> but, you know, like, isn't that something that you could, you know, ultimately pursue? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't think I'm in the wrong industry. Yeah. I, I don't think, think that's the case. No. Um, I mean, you I can think- always scribble art. <laughs> art. <laughs> I think we're just going through some growing pains right now. Yeah, and for we're sure. trying COVID. to figure out how to navigate, not just COVID, pre-COVID. Okay. So I have three siblings. Yeah. Uh, we're a family of four kids. We're all Huge. in this business. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's awesome. But I've asked you this. Can you imagine working with your dad, your mom and your sister day Not, in, day out? OK, my, my family's a little different because <laughs> everyone's actually really hot headed. Oh, so, that's my family. But you know what's funny? Like so my family, a lot of them, we, we were artisans, mm-hmm. you know, like um, cobblers, so mm-hmm. shoemakers yeah. back in my grandfather's generation. And then my aunts and uncles, a lot of them that didn't go university or whatnot. Mm. They went into, what is it called when they do like, uh, like, like window coverings, window covering, drape, draperies. I don't, I don't know the damn term, but basically that's what they did. Mm -hmm. Like they had multiple businesses doing flowers, doing, you know, draperies. And I didn't know how much those costs, like a thousand dollars to do like a very basic set, you know, like California shutters or even more, I think. Um, but yeah, they, they actually worked together. Oh, whoops. It's okay. Whoops. It's my Baba. Oh, your dad's calling. I'm not going to pick this up right now. (laughs) I did. See, that's okay. I put the phone on silent and it still rings. I think your phone's broken. (laughs) I think so too. Maybe it's time for a new one. (laughs) It's caused me a lot of pain. Oh man. Okay. Hopefully. Can't never be a spy. Oh shit. (laughs) Okay, let me put it on airplane mode. Okay. All right. Okay. So, sorry, we were saying, yeah. So, yeah, my family comes from, they, they're artisans. They do, you know, um, draperies and whatnot. And I think, like, they work together, but they they always fought. There was, like, so, and, like, my family's huge. I've told you, like, I have, like, 20 plus cousins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, 10 plus aunts and uncles. yeah. And so, yeah, so I think my family has had that experience and it's not the greatest experience yeah. <laughs> from what I understand as a child, but they've made amends. So are you saying that you and your siblings have that little friction? No, I think my siblings and I are actually pretty great. That's good. We have like different uh, skill sets and mm-hmm. we have all our, what we're good at. But 
um, we're at a stage where we're like growing families now and we have like our, mm. our just our priorities are shifting. Right. Like it's not just us in the business anymore. It's like all our other side responsibilities. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Your lifestyle. Yeah. So it's about navigating that space and figuring out how we're going to work together in that respect and still like be able to work hard at our business. So, I mean, okay. I, I don't know much about your business because you've been very secretive about it, but it sounds like from what I got the gist of it's like a growing like huge business it's it's you know you're, you're doing big deals it's not like it has a, a it has huge potential we are on the cusp of potential okay. big build so, big deals but is it just like your your parents and your siblings only or people in management and yeah it's really flat Oh, wow. It's us and them, us and the rest. It's tough, right? Because the margins are slim. So you can't just hire managers and hire like people in between. Not until you scale. Yeah. Ah. So I think we're at the stage where we could hire in-betweeners. Oh, really? It's just that we don't know how to do it. Oh. So I think that's also like a learning challenge for us. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 would be because it's a little different than just, you know, doing everything from the, the seat of your pants. Now you're. It's trust, like trusting corporate. others. Yeah. I, I mean, think. yeah, that's they, a big part of it. But no, for sure. For a company that's like flat and family run, just shift in that mindset is crazy. Yeah. So I don't know why it's so difficult. Oh, it's always difficult. Is it? I'll tell you that right now. I, I think it should be easy. Like I should just go online, go look at resumes, hire someone that seems like they could help me grow my business. Right. And then give them some like responsibilities that I can like offload onto them that I don't need to take care of anymore. It sounds really simple. It, it always sounds simple. Like I'll tell you right now, cause I've been interviewing like for over a year. Mm -hmm. Okay. And one thing I've realized is I'm really bad at interviews, but I'm a pretty good conversationalist. I think, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've achieved a lot of success in my life, but it's hard to articulate that. And the people that are really good at articulate that it, articulating that and I've noticed this from my own hiring experiences are completely stupid. Mm. Like they are the worst at their job. And you know, I've made some bad hires. I made some good hires and you know, it, it really varies. What were, what were the qualities of those good hires? Honestly, it was that they were more local. They, they understood the culture a bit better. Like culture makes a huge difference. Mm. Like, and when people talk about the fit, you know, and, and again, I don't, I never took HR. So I have no clue what I'm doing. Cause hiring I was like, okay, there's a list of questions here. I don't know what the answers are for. Like, I don't know how to answer them myself, but I'm going to ask you. That's why how my interviews usually go. And then like, cause we were always on a crunch when you're a small business, you always need people right away. I'm like, can you start today? Yeah. <laughs> It's so true. Like <laughs> come for your interview and then we'll start your shift in like the next yeah, half an hour. Yeah, that yeah. sound good to you? Yeah. This is really just a formality, you know, like I just need to see your ID, you know, like that forget exactly background checks, you know, and, and you know, we've had like, I think we have one crazy guy and we're just like, what the hell is he saying in the group chat to like all the other like employees? I'm just like, okay, I guess he's fired, but he was great at his job though. <laughs> So, I mean, you, you, you get like a mixed bag and you don't realize how messed up people are out there until you start hiring. And, and you know what? I don't know about, and I only hired for about two knowledge worker roles. The rest were all kind of grunt labor mm -hmm. and it, it really varies. And I feel like my business before and your business had a lot of similarities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You haven't actually talked much about your entrepreneurial 
business, past. your past. Do you want to like talk about it a bit? Really about it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was kind of, most opportunities. I don't know well, for you is a little different because your family kind of had a very clear path. You know, we want to go into the F and B business. Yeah, that's what I. Had some, that's what I admired about you. Like you took the chance and you left corporate because you knew it wasn't doing it for you well corporate wasn't paying is i want to leave corporate like people think oh it's you left corporate it's good so good of you it's like no it's because corporate wasn't paying and i'm not gonna save a dollar because life is expensive and Mm. you know if you're not making like 150 in canada it's like you're not making anything at all and the u.s you're not making like half a mil you're actually not making much at all because after tax it's it's really fuck all so that was one of the prime motivators i hope anyone hiring me or investing in me in the future is not listening, but that was one of the prime motivators of entrepreneurship. But the second part is also you can't learn much in Canada. That's one thing I've actually learned from my interviews. Like one, I was having an interview with, with this Australian guy and I think I told you about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And he actually gave me the answer to the question of, Oh, why are you an entrepreneur and why do you want to go back to corporate? You know? And he said, he literally took like, he answered it for me. It's like, look in Australia, there's not much opportunity. I went through the same thing you had to. I started my own company to grow myself. And I'm like, that's actually what happened. Yeah. I just didn't know how to articulate it, right? And usually you're put on the spot on interviews. It's not like, oh, you know, uh, here's a list of questions and uh, here's a list of answers we need from you. They're not clear. They're very vague, you know. Just tell me about yourself. What do you want to know? You want to know what I had for lunch? <laughs> and, and, you know, over practice and time, you've learned to answer these questions properly. Yeah. You know, so now my, when people ask, oh, you're like a serial entrepreneur, you know, why do you want to come back to corporate? That's why I want to grow and learn. And I, I actually did. Like my first startup was to build a mobile app. Right. And uh, I had never done UX UI before. And, and I, I don't know. You know, that is right. UX UI. Yeah. Like, uh, let me see one second. All right. Like user experience. Yes. And then what's UI? User, user interface. Okay. 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 <laughs> there you go. So basically... Basically, um, yeah, learning how to use the tools to like draw what we call wireframes and high fidelity uh, mockups, basically, you know, basically how the app would look and yeah, feel, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I actually learned all that by myself, but I would have never gotten that opportunity had I stayed in corporate Canada. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe in corporate America, like I feel corporate America, everyone's willing to offer someone an opportunity. And that's from like the interviews I've done there, people have talked to there, they're always handing it out. It, it, it's, even with funding, it's like, oh, that idea sounds great on the back of a napkin. Like my cousin, uh, her story from what I heard from other family members was, that's what she did. She went to her MIT professor with a napkin. This is 20 years ago, before the whole startup thing. Yeah. And she said, oh, I want to do this AI company. He's like, okay, here's half a million dollars. Wow. Off the back of a napkin. And now she's like retired at 40, you know, um, she has a CEO running her company and she has other ventures now. I need a CEO to run my company. <laughs> That's the knowledge role I'm hiring for, CEO. <laughs> I, I, that'd, be, that'd be an interesting challenge actually to transform, you know, just traditional FMB into a more modernized company. Yeah, no, it, there's, yeah, it's exciting. I do yeah. get excited by it. Um, it's a little bit daunting. Um, my parents were so successful mm. and to, you kind of live in their shadows a bit and you, right. you wonder if you're going to ever surpass that. I don't know. It's, well, it's What's that chart? 
is it Meisner? No, Meisner. Um, Maslow's. Maslow's. Maslow's orders of needs. Yeah. Yours is a bit higher. I'm just trying to survive. You're like. They've I, modified that now. It's no longer it? a pyramid. Now it's oh. a sailboat. Really? How's yeah. that work? So basically we're all boats uh-huh. in the water. Different stages. No, the boat. There's like three components uh-huh. that require that the boat needs to move through water. Okay. So that's like financial security, basic needs, like the whole survival thing is the same. Yeah. And then the next is support community. And then I think the third one is maybe love. I'm not sure. <laughs> but without these things, without the support, without self-esteem, sorry, oh. self-esteem and without the basis revivals, your boat does not move no matter what. But how did you go from stage to stage though? Because it sounds like that's very cyclical. It's not. So we're not trying to, we are not trying to climb a pyramid anymore. Okay. We are trying to like go into different seas now. <laughs> you know, like Interesting. Use, having a strong foundation allows you to move through life. So you can uh-huh. react to, like you can see something that needs change. So you can like be inspired and mm. take action right. and follow like the wind towards that direction. Okay. And then your sail is always kind of moving with the wind, depending on what you see in life type thing. I don't know. I did not explain that well, but it's okay. it is it is a new theory out there now. I will definitely look it up because I'm, you know, we very we share that interest in like human yes. psychology and whatnot. Yes, yes. But, sailboat. Yeah, sailboat. But no, but I mean, I think that's the difference, I guess, you know, uh, from where our entrepreneurship levels have differed is I've always, I want to say thrived in chaos, but I've always lived in chaos mm. since I was like 23. Mm. You know, like going down this path, I like... So my Sunday host is going to be someone that I used to did startups with. Yeah. It's our Sunday guest. And she always likes to make fun of me because she, she used to work near me in Liberty village and I would pass out on a park bench because I used to, I used to run the short-term rental company. I used to have this mobile app startup. This is all like years ago and I also had a day job, but I would sleep at six in the morning. I'll be in the office by nine. And that would be, that went on for months. You were hustling. I was trying, <laughs> you know, I would do meetings every night. So people always think, oh, you know, entrepreneurship so easy. It's so great. No one says that. Who says that? Everyone. Because I've people, never heard that. No, but people don't know it. It's like looking at like actors. Oh, life is so great. You're famous. Blah, blah, blah. That's a lot of struggle behind it. Mm, 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 and yeah, like, so we found some mediocre success. You know, COVID was, you know, our best friend. What do you mean mediocre success? I think you were very successful <laughs> at one point. You're uh, being very modest. Uh, well, you know, success could be better. <laughs> I could retire. <laughs> I mean, I'm forced retirement. Do you want to retire in your life? Like, is that something that you're thriving for? Like, I want to be done at 40 so I can like go on yachts and sit at beaches and not work anymore. Is no, that like a dream? No, no, but you retire. So re- people think of retirement in the wrong way. You retire from one thing to work on another thing. Mm-hmm. So once that, it's like building like a puzzle. Once it's done, you don't throw it away. You, you mount it and you admire it. And maybe sometimes you got to touch up on it. But you go build the next puzzle. And that is the true test of entrepreneurship. Like, of course, there's Zuckerberg and, you know, all the other big guys, but even they leave to do something else, right? Like Zuckerberg has his foundations. He has his name on hospitals, you know, Elon has a million different things, but the great thing is they, they kind of try to build enterprise, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Right. So everything ties in together. And I think that's very, what I want to do too. And with my career path, right? I don't think retirement ever works. Your brain goes to mush and people just end up dying a couple years later. From yeah, it's I, not fun. It's not fun. You know? Um, and like I was saying, you know, 
the whole chaos process. Like I think, you know, your parents have paved a nice path, which is great. Um, so I think like for you, like there's that growth period now where you have to feel comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. And being the CEO, so mm, to speak. Yeah. I, yeah. You definitely hit something there. <laughs> 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 but like, okay. So I'm the eldest of three boys. I've been mm, zai, like zai, my whole life. Sorry, people. I am not a Canto speaker. I'm actually Hakka. Okay. Uh, yeah. Same, same with me. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I don't want to be CEO of my three bros. You know what I mean? Like that's like. Why not? Why, why not? It's like babysitting three guys for the rest of my life. I mean, you're going to do that anyway. Yeah. You, no. <laughs> I mean, that is not the real. No, I won't have to babysit them. My brothers are great. Mm. It's just like the idea of, but you're already in that phase, right? Like at some point your parents are going to retire from this business. Yeah. And either they're going to take the helm or you're going to take the helm. Yeah. And either way, you're still going to be working together. Yes. So somebody's going to be on somebody's ass about something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think but that's how, good. How do you work? Like, what if there's no CEO? What if there's like four? Does that work? Like, I mean, you could be co-CEOs, but you can't have four voices, right? Because someone has to make the executive decision. Yeah. Someone has to take that leap of faith, you know, in what they're doing. And part of that is they are there to bounce ideas with you, right? I, I think that that's the ultimate. It's like me and my business partner, Julian, we do that all the time, right? Like we keep each other accountable. I think that's the great part. You know, yeah. if, if I was a singular founder, yeah. It's so hard to keep yourself accountable because who's going to be on your ass, right? Yeah. You, maybe your board will be, but your board isn't in, in the weeds with you. Yeah, that's what they say. If you really want to start someone, something, find a co-founder. Yeah, because that, that, well, first of all, it shares a load and you're both dedicated, right? So yeah, I mean like- but I think it's accountability. That's accountability. like the, the one thing. But as CEO, you're more business than you are creative though. I think that is the big thing for you. Yeah. So do you, do you feel, you know, as a, you know, want to be creative? I don't think I, I'm a want to be creative. No, I mean, like, do you want to move down that path? I mean, not, not that you want to be as you're like, you're pretending. No, I just, I think I just want to incorporate more creativity okay. into our work, right? Uh, like the food industry is a creative industry. Right. Um, you have to keep on evolving to stay relevant. Right. Uh, we are so old school traditional. Like we do not use social media at all. Like we don't, we don't utilize any modern tools to help us market our business. Really? Our success is built on uh, word of mouth. Yeah. Like loyal customers. I've been with my parents since 91, 1991. That's, that's a while. Yeah. It's like people that were articling students eat our food and now they're like, they're. It's just nostalgia for them. I don't know. It's just nostalgia. I mean, I mean like that's what, like, you know, they, they know it. They, yeah. They, they have that it. trust. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah. So yeah, we, we have many ways that we could grow and, and that's exciting but also like scary as f but i think that that's the fun part right it's like um i used to, i studied nlp before you know like you know understanding how to learn things how to unlearn things mm -hmm. so there was this one rule that really resonated with me it's like you know first you have to acknowledge what you've learned wrong and then you have to you know stop yourself every time you do that and then adjust yeah. and that's how you change habits right yeah. Yeah, yeah. So same with this whole, you know, as a business, business is just an, it's an organism, you know? So if you know that, you know, you want to change something, you have to stop doing that one thing and then pivot yeah. to make that adjustment. Yeah. yeah. So are you, you guys going to do that? We'll see. You'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Who knows? Well, I don't even know which restaurant is yours. It you doesn't know? really matter, does it? No. It, well, I mean, I'm going to look at the campaign. The name doesn't matter. 
I'm going to look at a campaign. I'll be like, oh, this, this looks really good. And you'll be like snickering in the background. <laughs> yeah, it's mine. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So you grew up downtown Toronto, right? I was born in Toronto, but I grew up in the suburbs. So Unionville. Oh. And then I, I Richmond Hill. That. Do I know that? I don't remember if I know that. I think I told you in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I grew up uptown. Uptown. And now I'm a downtown girl. Yeah. A little too late, though. Like Same with me. Lived downtown in my 30s. I was like post partying scene, like post going out scene. Like it, it's, yeah, it's a different vibe. Our mutual friends are all like married. Now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a Toronto thing. Everyone is like getting married. Like I think one of our friends just got married last week, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she did. Just got yeah, married last week. I was week. like, oh, uh, I know this person. <laughs> I haven't seen her in a long time, but uh, yeah, she's married now. Very happy for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, so you moved down here when? 2017, 2018. Oh, that's yeah, that is kind of like the. It's death, pretty late. That's the death of Toronto. <laughs> like, no, Toronto was really good. I mentioned this before in like 2010. Yeah. Like the Circa era. That was never into clubbing, so I okay. I, I didn't miss anything that way. You didn't miss anything if you didn't like to party. Yeah, no, um, that was never my scene. Like Richmond Street was like Vegas. I I actually loved Toronto at that peak period. Maybe do you feel like it was because of the Nostalgia? age you were at though? Uh I okay, so when I first started coming downtown Toronto, this is you know the E1 building? Mm-hmm. This is before the E1 building was built. Mm-hmm. So all those like historical buildings that it's built on top of yep, yep. was offices. And at the bottom of when I was at was um I forget what club it was, but um it was really good. It was just on King no Richmond and Peter. And I would work, I was an intern on the top office. And this is like, I was working for free. This is when unpaid internships were still a thing. I would take the uptown Richmond Hill. I would take the go train down here every morning. And my dad's like, why are you working for free? But it actually landed me my first job. So, you know, give and take. And every night I finished, I would finish late sometimes. Around Friday nights, I finished at seven and then I just took the go train home. You know, I didn't have any money. I was like 20 and just, yeah. And um, I would see literally that one street all lit up. Everyone's like roaring. It was amazing. And I love that. Yeah. I, I find that really enjoyable and very great, you know? So that was also my goal, you know? And I, I moved down here at 23. I was like a couple years earlier than you. So 2013, I moved down. Many, many years before me, it seems. Eh, four years. <laughs> four years. Um, but yeah, I like pretty much like caught the tail end of what Toronto Kind of like the golden era of Toronto, if you ask me, you know, and, and since then, you know, everything's kind of like dispersed. They were trying to move all like the party and the nightlife out of Toronto. Even if you don't like clubs, a lot of the bars are now on the far west side yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And then it's all more corporate-y. Back then it had a lot of uh, soul and spirit to me anyways. So does the West End have that vibe now? A little bit, but it still feels a bit tacky. So... One thing, you know, going back to FNB, just because, you know, it's perfectly relatable here. Like when I was like in LA and I may mention this to you, like a lot of the higher end fancy restaurants that you would expect to have very whitewashed food mm. had very authentic food. Even though you're paying at a higher price, you get that quality, you get that um, flair, the restaurant. What does authenticity mean anymore? Mm. It's just like the way that they cook it, the flavors, you know, like a lot of times you look at who's the chef behind all these like fancier restaurants. They're not, you know, 
doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't taste authentic. It just tastes like, like there's one in, in um, uh, one in the financial district. It was the, the Peruvian one, Peruvian mm-hmm. Asian one. Okay. My friends went there. They're like, this place is garbage. But what about it? Like it didn't just, pay it's just, homage to like Peruvian food. Like, are they Peruvian Asians? Like how did, did they, how no, did they know it wasn't authentic? No, it's just like, it just had that. It's hard to describe. It's just more no of, soul, basically. Yeah. It just, yeah, like, just like tastes like, you know, white people making Asian food. You okay, know what I mean? Okay, like okay. it's like a cucumber roll or whatever, a Californian roll or whatever. It just lacked that little bit, you know? It well, just, it, it kind of sounds like they weren't really trying. Well, I mean, I, I'm not the restaurant owner. I don't know. But f- a lot of people that went there had yeah. a similar experience. You know, it's just expensive food for suits. You know? Are we talking about Toronto right now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. We're talking yeah. about a restaurant in Toronto. Yes, I got yes. it now. In LA though, it was kind of like, it had that same experience and cost, but the food was actually authentic, right? Like it had that authentic vibe, mm. you know, like at, at like the ethnic restaurants at least, right? Like, so that's what I mean. Like, you know how like ethnic food's always pushed down here? But I feel like for that restaurant, the financial core, I think it is the way it is because of the crowded servicing, right? Yes. So it's, it's kind of like, and that goes to my point of where, you know, like people like myself, you know, as we're budding, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, people with, you know, influence and money, you know, and there isn't like a high-end restaurant that caters to that kind of palate. You know, all the restaurants here are catered to the white palate of let's use more sugar. Let's use, instead of using like the right peppers, you know, let's use like some other substitute. And they just, you know, devolves that one dish to something that's just like, eh, whatever, you know, but you know what I'm, I mean, yes, right? Yeah, I know yeah. where you're going with this. Yes. And, and so I think that vibe makes it a huge difference mm. and there's your opportunity. <laughs> well, people are doing it already. Really? Yeah. So I don't know if you've heard of Sunny's Chinese. They're Sunny's really good Chinese. on social media, but they're all about. I might have. Yeah. They're all about keeping it real, keeping it authentic, authentic. using the right peppers, like yeah. paying respect to where the food comes. Right. But then at the same time, they also recognize that. Okay. So f and I'm in the American Chinese food sector, I would say. Ah. Right. So they, they recognize that that is authentic food too though it was once born out of north america this this whole food sub subcategory of chinese food is what was created in canada do do you have a favorite dish at work then (laughs) (laughs) favorite americanized that would give away the name of our store if i said the name of the dish (laughs) you you know what i didn't realize what was it orange pepper beef or whatever uh, I've never heard of orange pepper beef, but I'm sure it exists. So it's an uh, Albertan dish. Crispy ginger beef. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crispy yeah. ginger beef. That is actually an Albertan dish. Yes. It's not really a, even a Chinese dish. It's just a Chinese guy there made it. Yeah. Well, but that's the thing. A Chinese guy made it. Yeah. That doesn't make it not Chinese. No, no I'm not saying it's not. I'm, I'm just, it's just like, you know, it just surprises me. Like, cause you know, as kids you eat this growing up yeah. and then you don't think if, you, if I go to, I go to Hong Kong, yeah. like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know what I mean? That dish is the most popular dish amongst <laughs> Asian, like Chinese. It's good. I'm not Chinese saying it's bad. Chinese people I'm that eat. Yeah. American <laughs> Chinese food. <laughs> Was it your dad who created it or something? <laughs> no, we're not from Alberta. We can't take the credit for that one. <laughs> um, no, but because. It's like, you know how there's all these fancy Japanese like rolls yeah. in like 
but they don't exist in Japan. So you have Japanese people that come over here or to the U.S. and they're like, they're just fascinated by it. Yeah. I've heard of stories. It's pretty cool. Like food evolves. That's why it's so cool. Yeah. It's a representation of society that you are in, the culture you're in, the time you're in. It's it's like fashion almost. It kind of tells the time. It does. It does. You know, it's kind of funny. There was a, a vice show about this guy who tried to bring American Chinese food to China. So he opened a restaurant in Shanghai. And I was in Shanghai. How did it do? It closed down. Oh, there goes my dream about going to China. Bad idea. <laughs> Test your market. Oh, Test me, okay? Yeah, Test okay. your market. But, but yeah, I mean, like he had this whole passionate story about, oh, you know, as, you know, Chinese, you know, Americans don't want to bring back part of that culture introduced to like Chinese, Chinese people. Yeah. I mean, it's a noble cause, but. I guess you have to cater to the crowd and the crowd is conservative there. So, you know, it being more conservative, you're going to want to eat just that kind of food. Very hom- homogenous. Yeah. So right? same thing, like the restaurants here have to cater to the crowd. Yeah. No, for sure. They don't have the population to support all these little niche Shanghainese restaurants, yeah. like Xi'an restaurants. Like when you go to New York, you can find that, right? And they're good. But I think it's coming. The we, higher end versions of it. We're, yes. we're getting there. Yay. We're getting there. Yes, we're getting a bit of culture. Because <laughs> cause people are like, it's almost like you're beguiling these people though. Because like, I don't think people go and like, oh, I want the non-authentic experience. <laughs> but this is what they're shown. Because also there's a lack of, you know, the, the talent to do it, right? Like if you want someone to make like Xiaolongbao, like really good Xiaolongbao, you're not going to find like, you know, like those Fidei restaurants here, Fidei being financial district, aren't going to be able to find the people who do it. I think like Toronto has a long way to go in bringing the artistry that Chinese yes. food can be. Yeah. Like that isn't appreciated yet. Yes. And it hasn't been, ex- like we're not exposed to it yet. Mm. 100% agree with that. Yeah. Um, But I don't ad- agree with the the thing you said before though. <laughs> so remember that, remember that restaurant Nightshade you told me to go to? Yes. So I was reading like, I was thinking about that restaurant because I was watching a video about um, how Asian food has always looked to be cheap. Yes. And they're trying to change that mindset. Because yes. even when I, when I was in LA, I was like, oh, man, this is a fancy- We perpetuate this. I know Asians we do. Asians perpetuate this. I know we do. We're like, <laughs> I was doing that. I was like, oh man, it looks so expensive. <laughs> like, so you went, it. you didn't go. No, I tried to go a couple of times, but they were always closed. Mm. Like LA has the weirdest operating hours. I'm just like, it's it's dinner time. Why are you guys closed? I don't think the pandemic helped. Maybe the pandemic was- didn't help. And then so I guess with the shortage in staff, et cetera, training, they only operate for limited hours yeah. to cover the rent. Yeah. And I guess there was a lot of government support. So they're like, fuck it. But yeah, like pretty much I was thinking to myself, oh man, I want Asian food. I kind of want it a bit cheaper. <laughs> and it's horrible. But same time, I'm just like, well, I like good quality Asian food. Because for me, I, I, I know a lot of people, atmosphere matters. But I think I'm a bit jaded now after growing up here. Where every atmospheric restaurant you go to leaves with a bad subpar taste in your mouth. You know, not just Asian food. Like even with white food, I'm just like, that steak was kind of crap. You know, like I, I've had a meeting with a, where we paid $1,000 for steak. And I, I left, I was like, man, that tastes like cardboard. Yeah, because you paid too much for something. Yes, you, you pay, and then it's like the the whole the whole charade of like or charade of oh we're gonna mix this salad for you this Caesar salad you know from scratch and I'm just like honestly you could just give the me name the of plate. the steak places like escaping my mind 
You but it's on King Street. Yeah. Yes. King yes. and Portland area or King and Brunt or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. An article just came out about how they're going bankrupt. A lot of restaurants, unfortunately, in Toronto. But it's just because they're shuttered, going bankrupt. Yeah. It's it's kind of sad. It is sad. Um, but I mean, like I, I was sad up for a few bars actually that closed down. So I'm more of a cocktail person. Like, was it not two four four bar sweet one one four? I always get it wrong. They're actually opened by Chinese people and they shuttered and they was the best. And I always preach, always praise them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so unfortunate. Yeah. That was a great cocktail bar. And yeah, there's a lot of cool places that shuttered over COVID. And I think, I mean, it's opportunity though. Opportunity. <laughs> hey, everyone thinks they Build can open a restaurant. Empire. No, it's so hard. I, I like, I wouldn't mind owning a bar one day, mm. but it would be, or a bar, or even a restaurant, but it has to be not the, my main bread and butter. So that's the difference. Be, like, I, my mind, the way I see things is always, has to be cyclical. So if I'm like, like, you know, last week I talked about buying a laundromat. I think I told it to you yeah. too. But part of buying the laundromat, it, it's not going to be my bread and butter, right? Like, I'm not going to start like 50 laundromats. I'm going to start, you know, a hotel business and it's going to run you know, in parallel. So I'm if, very excited to see this come into fruition. I, 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 I hope it does. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying to Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm praying to Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Justin, Justin. I did look into that program a bit yeah. more, or I just asked for more, a few more questions. Yeah. It doesn't seem so easy. It's not, but we, we're, we're good. We're good for the program. You're good for the program. So, so what I'm told, so, you know, praying to Justin here, but, um, yeah, like, like, that's the way I see like a business because I restaurant is so tough. It is. It's a grind. It's a grind. It's a grind. I'm it's like, not glamorous. You stink. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. I cook here every day. And like at the end, I was like, oh, crap, it's my crap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so you know how like they give you those, they have those wire mesh frames that cover so the oil doesn't splash mm -hmm, out. Mm -hmm. I never used that till recently. And now I go through them like hotcakes. <laughs> I'm like, I put it on top. I was like, oh crap, it's so much oil. I just don't realize it, right? And then every time I fry a steak on the cast iron, like my whole condo is like, it's like a haziness. Mm. I feel like I'm in Hong Kong. I was like, I can't see, I can't see. Oh yeah, it's terrible in Hong Kong. I don't know. Is what What is it? Oh, it's just smog. Oh, so, I mean, okay, so sorry. I was talking about cooking. Like oh. I, I cooked up a meal for... The oh. family that hosted me when I was in Macau. Okay. And like, yeah, the whole condo just filled up. It's just, it just exhaust. Oh, We're yeah. Way the, off base they, right now. Oh, no, no, no. But like, <laughs> it's just because the exhaust vents there don't work very well. Because mm. it's a tiny space. And the architecture is really strange because they have AC units on the outside. Just bad circulation. Yeah. So I made them chili chicken. Like I you went to the market. I bought a fresh chicken. You was, bought a fresh chicken? Yeah. Oh, yeah. From the, the market. Live ones, yeah, like, yeah, the, yeah. The markets. Brought it back. And I was like, I just want the chicken breast. So <laughs> I got this full of chicken. I got like a handful of chicken out of wow. this chicken. Was, I'm not a cook. Or I wasn't a cook at okay. that. I'm still not a very good cook. But anyway, so I was like chopping this chicken up and frying it. And then the alarm just kept on going. Yeah. And I felt so bad. Oh. Well, I mean, but you were cooking chili chicken? I was making them chili chicken. I made them a meal. So uh -huh. I cooked up some Hakka dishes for them oh. to say thank you for letting nice. me stay with them. Is it dry chili chicken? Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That is the Hakka way. That is Hakka way. I'm trying the to real Hakka way, not the Indo Hakka way. Oh, like, see, I, I am like, you know, I'm Hakka, Hakka Yen. Hakka Nien. Hakka Nien. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Like, 
I was reading up on the history of Hakka people. Yeah. And apparently like they, they had like a massive wars. It was like, like, it was like, uh, what was it? Like those Christian wars pretty much. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, really? No. So apparently they used to like massacre Hakka people like 30,000 at a time mm. but, like in China. I was like, wow, I didn't know there was such animosity back then. <laughs> well, that's why we had to leave. We booked it well, all over the world. Apparently not. I think no? 12% of all Chinese people are Hakka. Oh. Yeah. Like we were like rabbits. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is very interesting. I, I, like, I feel like me speaking, because it was the Cantonese people that were slaughtering the Hakka people. Oh, dear. I was like, I feel like I betrayed my, my kind here. <laughs> well, I've been assimilated. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have no idea about like the differences. And, you know, go back to our earlier conversation. Hakka food is very much diluted by the location. Wouldn't you say? Diluted by the location. Yeah. Like, you know, like there's Jamaican Hakka people. There's mm-hmm. Chinese Indian. Mm-hmm. There's Mauritian. Well, in Toronto, though, it is just the Indo Hakka oh. cuisine that prevails right now. I didn't know that. Yes. Any so, Hakka restaurant that you see in Toronto is Indo Hakka. Oh, Indo as an Indonesian? India. Oh, in- oh okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because I always wonder. I was like, because I actually knew a girl in high school and she was Indo or in Indian, Indian Hakka. Hakka. Yeah. yeah. Like she was full Chinese. Like she was a mix. Yeah. But like, like from what I understood, her family was like kind of grew up there. Yeah. My parents were born in India. Oh. A lot of us. So any of those restaurants are usually people from India that come to oh. Canada, migrated and open restaurants in Toronto. Yeah, that's pretty smart. Um, I have a friend who does own a chain actually. Of Hakka restaurants. Hakka restaurant chain yeah. owner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his, her name? Or what, which brand? It was, it was a friend of a friend. Um, we, we met, we hung out a couple of times, but we didn't really stay in touch. Uh, I think it was like Hakka Red. number one. Oh, no. You don't, know, you don't know it? I don't know them. Um, I actually really love their, like, and they all speak Canto in there. Yeah. So, um, and they were like from like Markham and Scarborough. Yeah. But they have a huge chain and I love their dry chili chicken. Mm. And there's this other place we used to go to. Because this is when I used to work at the bank. Because they, they really cater towards that um, South Indian, yeah. Southeast market. And they all live around Eglinton East. Mm-hmm. That's where I used to work. That's where the bank was. Yeah. Back in like 10 years ago. And yeah. So we would always go for Hakka food. Because we just like the dry chili chicken. It was great. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, I really want to learn how to make this dish. <laughs> But it's not easy. It's not hard. Oh, you can do it. Not. You could do it. No, but I, I'm just like, okay, I got to research the techniques and <laughs> stuff. You got to get the cuts of chicken. I'm just like, oh, it's a lot of work. Because you can't just buy chicken bits. You got to make it yourself. Yeah, you got to cut up the chunks. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, man, you know, you got to debone. I'm like, I right, forget it. <laughs> it's actually better bone in. Really? Yeah. Never tried that. It makes it easier to cook too. You should do it. You I'll, can do I'll, it. I will try it. I will try it. I just, I know everyone's been telling me I just started a cooking channel. Yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> but so what is the difference between Indian Hakka food and regular Hakka food? No, Indian Hakka food is just okay, so just like there's American Chinese food. Right. It's food that's been modified to cater to the palate okay. of All right. Canadians or Western Amer- Americans, white people. Indian mm. Hakka food is the same thing. So it's our Hakka food, but we've taste like changed up, added spices. Okay. Made it more palatable, like the flavorings that the Indian people would enjoy. Mm. So like there's a dried chili chicken in traditional Hakka, I guess. Yeah. And then there's 
the Indian version, which is a little more spicy. Well, and they also usually add gravy. So Manchurian chicken, mm. that dish. So I would say dry chili chicken is pretty much regular Hakka okay, chili chicken. So, okay. And then Manchurian chicken is another version that's saucier. Ah. And that's that's a modified version to cater to. I, I'm group. not going to lie. Like, like dry chili chicken, mm. when I describe it to people, I'm like, it's really hard to say, oh, this is a Hakka dish. I was like, it looks like chicken <laughs> Looks like what? It's just chicken on rice. Yeah, fried chicken. It's yeah, just fried chicken. It's just fried chicken on rice. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's delicious. I, I like, I, like it is a more. I think it's like what fried with garlic or something. Yeah, yeah. And then Exploring at home culture. we add wine to it. Add wine. Yeah, like rice wine. wine. Okay. Yeah. And then we also like coriander, a lot of garlic, chili, like fresh chili. That's about it, and it's bomb. Nice. It's really I think good. I'm gonna have to try. Like. I've been trying to learn how to make garlic chips properly. Garlic chips. Yeah, yeah, you were trying to do that for your steak last time or your pork chop, right? Yes. Well, I, I keep trying now. I think you need a lot of oil. No? What's the technique? Well, no, no. So I usually what I do is after the steak done, I take it out because I, I don't use oil or butter now. I, I render my own. Yes, your fat, your pork fat, belly fat. Pork belly fat. And I use it. So it's, it's kind of interesting. And so there's oil residue left. Yeah. So I throw, I, I chop up garlic chips and I throw it in there and I yeah. let it cook. So you have to keep the heat high. Yeah. But the, we have to make, but like, I just don't know when I take it out. Cause also you can't just go like, it's hard to flip, right? Cause they're so small. But I feel like if you had enough oil in there. No, no, there's enough oil. There's enough oil. So like right before. But it has to be at like boiling point, like, like burning point. Yes. Frying temperature, so right? The problem is that it'll get crispy. Yeah. It's how do you make sure you don't burn it? Mm, it's just the timing, getting yes, the timing right. Yes, I've had some success. Um, it also like depends on the size because if some are th smaller, some are thicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or thinner or thicker, and they're gonna have different cooking times. Yeah. And then you're like, crap, do I take it out? Do I not take it out? And then like the thinner ones will burn, and the thicker ones are halfway there. So I think you gotta. Go back to step one of cutting our garlic. <laughs> it took me a long time to learn how to cut. I'm not going to lie. I'm still struggling with it. Actually? My rock, I don't know. Sometimes I can't. It doesn't actually cut through. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, sharpen your blade. I guess so. Like that was one thing I learned through the pandemic was sharpen my knife. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With a whetstone and then using like the diamond cutter or whatever it is. Yeah, you got to treat your tools right. I know. And I'm like... I just never thought of myself as that person before, but it's like, as I'm hitting my thirties, I'm learning all these new things that yeah. I, in my twenties, I really tried to neglect. Uh, I was really stupid in my twenties. Like I would buy a whole pack of steak from Costco, yeah. but I didn't know how to use a freezer bag. So what did you do? I just, you just left all the steak there. I would cook it. I would eat all of it in a week. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm so sick of steak. <laughs> <laughs> did your mother... Mm -hmm. allow you in the kitchen when no. you're growing up no my parents my parents they're not i don't know if they're called lazy or not first of all my mom's not a good cook mm. she's an awful cook mm. mom i don't care <laughs> <laughs> but she was i've said she still before, loves you still love you but <laughs> horrible horrible cooking like everything is as dry as possible how long did you eat her food for for a long time, I thought pork was supposed to be super dry. <laughs> like I grew up eating cardboard. I was like, this is what pork tastes like. And then, you know, like through trial and error, you know, you kind of learn. I remember I tried to cook my first steak. I, I, I take in like the recipe for an inch and a half steak. And I have no sense of measurement when it comes to food. Like back then, at least when I was like 20. 
I was like, it was like a flank steak or something, not really thin steak. And I burned the shit out of it. And I was like, but you never did that again. No, but that's because I didn't try cooking again until I was 23. <laughs> <laughs> so I had three year hiatus. <laughs> three year hiatus. I'm like, fuck it, mom. Kitchen's all yours. I'll eat that cardboard. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> but now that I've learned a lot more techniques, you know, you know, transfers and whatnot, like you realize it's like, God damn, mom, this is you're purposely doing this. I don't know why. I just don't know why. <laughs> and she probably felt that cooking was more of a duty than anything. Like she just like, I got to put this on the table. Like it wasn't a force yeah. of anything. Like for I don't her. think she was ever like trained properly herself. And it's more of like, okay, you know, when you have kids and you're raising them, it's like you, everything's, especially in that generation, everything's by the seat of your pants. You know, it's like, okay, well, I got to make something. I just whip something up. Yeah, or exactly. eat it, guys, you know, next, you know, I got to do laundry or something. Right. Yeah. Like, it's like, my mom was a housewife most yeah. for her, I guess, parenthood. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, she worked, you know, a couple of years after that, but yeah, especially when we have, you have a job too, and then come home, you got to cook, you got to clean, you got to do all this stuff. So my parents never really let me like in and around the kitchen. So I, that's why I had such a, I guess, a late bloom. Yeah. Like, I know some kids are like, you know, making like steak at like fucking like six or something. Yeah. We grew up in the kitchen at okay, home with really? our mom. Yeah. That's awesome. We, we were all given tasks. We all cook together. It's like one of the things we still do together. I think that's a good bonding experience, right? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. My mom is an awesome cook. That's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like all my subs are awesome cooks too. Nice. That's good. Like, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but so one thing I've noticed is all the women in my family are not as good cooks as the men, mm. which is really weird because like, like once in a while, like my uncles or my, or my, 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 uh, my dad will cook and it's like, fuck, this is really good. But, and I think the reason why is because they, they, um, when they first came to Canada, they actually, they didn't know, they had no skills. They worked in kitchens. They worked in kitchens. Yeah. Like, I think my dad worked at Swiss Chalet, so he kind of understands, you know, how to. Temperature. Temperature, <laughs> you know. Like, he purposely overcooks a steak, but he does it in a way that is not bad. Yeah. Like, he doesn't overcook the steak. Like, it's well done. Yeah, no, they need that like, crispy edge on the, on the beef. That's way Chinese men like their steaks. Like my dad, yeah. that's the way he likes it. Yeah. Cause, cause, um, a lot of times they go to Korean restaurants and they don't do that. Like, so that means they put the meat on too early, mm. you know? So that's one thing I've learned. I was like, why is my steak? Like, before, like, like when I start using the cast iron, like it's a bit of a different, you know, thing where using a cast iron, using an aluminum pan and it's letting the oil get, get hot, hot enough. enough. Yeah, yeah. Let it smoke, you know, and then create that crisp. Yeah. And it, it does make a difference. Otherwise, like you steam the steak. <laughs> it looks like you put it in, a, in like a tank of water. Yeah. And that's a struggle. You know, it's, it's a learning. But I think it's, it's good. You know, you have this bond with your family now, you know, and it's something that I guess you could continue to do. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's, we'll be doing that for the rest of our lives. <laughs> 100%. We love food. Yeah. We're definitely in the right industry. It's just like finding our so. groove. Your groove? Like our personal group, like right. our parents' business is well established. It's like what we do next. My thoughts are, you know, once you've reached a certain level, you want to start keep doing entrepreneurial things to, and that, that to me is what, how you get back to society. You create opportunity, right? Like, you know, helping people yeah. is definitely a byproduct of building something that, you know, fulfills you, right? And the day it's all your own passion, right? Like me doing this podcast, it's, it's, it is, you know, creating content for people to consume, but it is 
in itself a selfish reason for myself, right? I, I want to do this because I want, you know, to tell these stories, yeah. you, know, you know, get to know people better. Yeah. You know, people I talk, I, like I might hang with all the time, but I never talk to, right? Like half the episodes, like I learned so much new stuff about people. I'm like, really? Oh, damn, I've known you for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny, right? Like even like my friend Logan who came on, I had no idea about his background, like yeah. how, how his upbringing was. I was like, blew my mind. But yeah, so there's that kind of path. So I mean, yeah. So are you going to take the leap of faith? I have no idea. I have no idea. There's a lot going on in our own business right now. Right, the right. pandemic has been really hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're still trying to get through it. And mm-hmm. then when things stable out, um, I think in a couple of years. A well, couple of years. I, I think it needs that, that to recover. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. We're in a long haul, I think. Because looking at it from a surface level, it looks like it's recovered in that sense, right? Like people are everywhere. Like I was walking to the, like, where was I walking to? I was walking to get my health card renewed on Victoria Street and it was like FIDA was packed. You know, it was like traffic everywhere. And it was like, it seems like everyone's going somewhere or yeah. doing something. It, there does seem like there's a lot of people out there, but the financial corp is it's pretty so, dead. Yeah. So. Do, do you have restaurants in the financial corp? Oh shit. That's why like oh. we actually have quite a few. Oh damn. So I think the next few years will be about diversifying and seeing because we're, we're stuck with leases, right? So yeah. Toronto leases commercial is about 10 years for those. Buildings. Okay. So some of them we just signed in 2019. Oh shit. Yeah. Right before we like renovated and we opened for two months and then the pandemic hit. Oh my God. So yeah. That's <laughs> Yeah, so we still got a long ride in the core and we'll hopefully it rebounds and then we'll just keep evolving to keep up. It sounds stressful. Just the thought of it is kind of stressing me out. Like that happened to me as well. Like we literally spent like 40, 50K on two units, like furnishing them Yeah. in 2019. And then we put down another like 15, 20 grand to fight the city on regulation and <laughs> the pandemic hit. Fire sell everything. All right, that marble table, like half off, five hundred dollars. Now it's two fifty. Oh know? my gosh! Um, and then like when we sold everything, because it was just like we had so much stuff, we actually took one of our units, we filled it to the brim. Yeah, we had like eight to ten mattresses sitting in there. We had it was literally like you went to the flea market or like a storage locker. Yeah, and you're, you're you're like you know those auction shows. I I literally one guy came in he looked at all the stuff I'll give you a thousand for all this shit I was like fuck it take it and then when we finally sold everything we sat down we're like should have kept some of that shit for ourselves (laughs) (laughs) like we sold like marble end tables for like 90 bucks you should have told me I need furniture (laughs) but um yeah I mean a surprise your your friends should have shopped at your I know They, they, they should have they should have. Oh, yeah, really. Because like the units that I did was really higher end. And um, most people don't want to spend that money. But we believe in a premium product. So we were like, okay, we're going to make this really nice. <laughs> like one client, he literally started with us for like six months. Yeah. <clears throat> we had did it like a two layer type paint. So it was a base color and then it was textured. Interesting. So it was like a, it was like a gold and yellow, a blue and gray uh-huh. texture. So it was like really beautiful like you can feel the texture yeah like you can see and feel it and then the pandemic <laughs> and i literally convinced him to spend like 40k he's a he's a doctor he makes fuck ton like he's tons of clinics all over the place like he, it was it was a funny story how he came with his condo <clears throat> he's like 
he was wasted in the club. And honestly, that's where I meet most of my clients. And he said to me, dude, I just bought another Porsche. Why did I buy another Porsche? <laughs> I was like, that's a great problem to have. He's like, I should buy another condo. He's like, you know what? The next condo I'm going to buy, I will give it to you. I was like, okay. <laughs> and he did. And he did. Oh, that's wow. how he became my client. Stupid money. Yeah, I think some people found the right path, you know, in terms of, you know, scaling themselves. And Was he happy? I think so. I think so. You know, he's always, every time I see him, he's always laughing. He's always having a good time, you know. He's but a super nice guy. You see him at the clubs though, right? Isn't everyone laughing and having a good time at clubs? Yeah, some people are sulking. Some people are not. <laughs> but um, he's always having a good time. And, you know, whenever I see him outside of the club, you know, because he's also my client, you know, we also have good conversations. You know, yeah, he's a good guy, smart guy. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting, right? Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. It's more transitions then. Yeah, it's more chaos. Yeah. And you like you like chaos, as you said, you thrive in chaos. I don't know if I thrive in chaos. I think I I live in chaos. <laughs> Actively choose to, too. I don't think it was a choice. That no? I, it wasn't like an ABC <laughs> on a screen. It's all right. What do I want in my life? Do I want more chaos? Yes. I, I want my life to be. Difficult. There are people like that though. They, there are. It's like. Uh, and you know what? I've gotten used to it. That's the difference. You know, like whether I thrive in chaos really depends. You have to be really tenacious to be thriving chaos. You know, like it's really not for the weak. <clears throat> and, you know, it's not to like, you know, put anyone down when we say that. It's because you just can't give up. Because if you do, then that will be your legacy in chaos. <laughs> is that you didn't make it through, right? So it's always about finding the next path and so forth. Mm. I feel like this podcast is going to be like a podcast about entrepreneurship. <laughs> uh, but chaos. I feel like don't people choose chaos when they kind of want to escape the internal realities of like the mundaneness of life. So they seek that excitement. I, like I like. Um, yes, I, I do like that chaos where, where like everything's a bit scrambled, but it, it, I think it goes back to that conversation about, you know, having your Maslow's orders and needs, you know, in place. So when you have financial freedom, when you have all that, then you want a bit of chaos. Like right now, it's like, if you're figuring out what you want to do with your future, it's like a bit of a struggle. Yeah. You know, um, you know, whether I'm starting another business, whether I'm taking a job, you know, and then. At what point do I get to utilize my creative outlet, right? I think most people coming out of school have that problem. They don't realize they have this creative energy, especially in Toronto. Because most here is like finance, 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 medicine, finance, medicine. <clears throat> you know, and then the arts here aren't really celebrated. We yeah. say we celebrate it, but we don't. You know, it's different. And I think, I think that would be the one thing I would tell myself if I was like 10 years old. Like, get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. <laughs> You can go be creative somewhere <laughs> and people will pay you for this. Yeah. No, the license to be creative. It's a big It's actually one. a price. Yeah. <clears throat> it's only for the rich. No, no, I disagree with that. No, Why? no, it's not only for the rich. Okay. Okay. You can be the broke artist or you can be that artist that's parents were wealthy, well-connected, and you're able to sell your art. There's a, there's actually a difference. I I went on a date with a with okay. an artist in the city. Uh -huh. I did ask him that question, like that whole broke broke artist, artist versus, uh -huh. stereotype. And he's just like, 
No, people actively choose it because they think it will make their work thrive. Well, that, that's like saying Taylor Swift actively, you know, has bad relationships. We can write more songs. No. It's true, but <laughs> I mean, there's tons of way to be broke. Just don't open your bank account. No, as in like I, that's that's a mis mis idea now. Like people that it, oh. that are creatives are not broke anymore, right? That's they're not. They're not, and people are making money. Yeah, especially with the social media and like invention of social media, TikTok, like people distribute their own work now. You don't need to find someone to distribute. Work. Yeah, you distribute yeah. and then they find you now, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I think we are shifting. We, you're just kind of, you were 10 years early. Like the times weren't there for you. No, for sure. The platform for sure. wasn't there. I mean, it's never too late, you know. It's I'm, never too late. I've always been a late bloomer, so. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to still pursue that? Pursue, yeah. I, I, I don't think I would stop. Um, now that it's like I have a taste for it, you know, like I don't know if I'm going to be drawing anything anytime soon, splattering blood on the wall, you know, you know, poetry, none of that shit. But, you know, I think there's other ways to be creative, right? Yes. Like I think um, I'm a good storyteller. I think so. And um, you are. Thank you. And also, you know, this kind of medium, you know, to express ideas and opinions. I feel art is just it, it's a fine line between ego and arrogance. And then it's to tell people, pay me to tell you what I think. And that's what art is, you know, in, in every way you shape and form. Yeah. But that's, it has value because what you're sharing resonates or brings it's something. Talent. Yeah. I mean, it's talent. Well, it's not, it can't be replicated. That's why it's as value. It can't be replicated because every person is unique. Yeah. You're saying so like. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, traditional work where it's like, the value add is replicable. It's yeah. something that is has to be cherished because one of a kind. Yeah. It's yeah. one one oak, as the <laughs> club calls itself. One of a kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that. Yeah. No, I think we are all creative beings uh -huh. at heart. Right. It's just that we haven't been fostered to use that skill as much. Um, and we live in a society where we're still in survival mode for the most part. Most people are still in survival mode as a society. Do you think that as Asians, we are more like that? We are, we are less inclined to express our creative side, that it's been suppressed by our families and friends. I think it's suppressed because it was never celebrated, like mm -hmm. never affirmed. Like it, it didn't bring any value. Like it didn't add to your worth. So yeah, you didn't, you didn't dive into it as much. But I think that's also changing. There are many stories yeah. of families that recognize that creativity is like value but that's more like the millennial generation no parents, so no? people our age that their parents were like that too oh, really yeah so i, I think like because my family didn't grow up educated because their house burned down long story short and i think that was something so it was a survival mode for 20 years probably i think that was what differed so i have a few cousins that are creatives yeah and they thrive like crazy you know, I think I've told you about it. You know, they, they do the craziest things or abstract art, very cool stuff. And it's great to see, you know, like that it's doable. It's it's almost like, you know, representation or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but it's great to see, right? And I think there is, but it's just such a small thing. And maybe it's because Canada is different from, he, he, he works with the U.S. market, but he's also based in Asia. And, you know, he's always telling about all these artists. He always shows me like, stuff they do you know and it's crazy right like that 
you just don't realize that people pay you for this stuff. It's just unfathomable. A fat unfathomable? Unfathomable. Like unfathomable. 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 I can't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it just blows my mind. Yeah, no, there's at the AGO right now, mm-hmm. Matthew, I think Matthew Wong. Okay. He's an artist based out of New York recently. I think he's from Canada though, mm. or Toronto even. Right. Um he committed suicide. Oh fuck. At the peak of his career, I guess. He did, he did a Van Gogh. <laughs> did he what? He did a Van Gogh. His work is beautiful. Really? Okay. Everyone, Asians, go check out and support AGO. It's it's pretty amazing. Jesus. All right. I definitely want to yeah, see Yeah, you it. should. Yeah. He was touted to be like the next big thing. <laughs> Shit. I don't want to make any dark jokes, but it's tempting. <laughs> Okay, that, that, that's uh, that's very interesting. But that's inspiring. Like it is people inspiring. People can see his work. Yeah. And know that they can do it too. Mm. Representation is very important. Representation. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of feeding into Canada. Like it's more down there. Like generally, I don't know about you, but you know, we both grew up kind of in the same area. I really cared about that thing. Like, like no one ever said representation matters until yeah. you heard in the U.S. And you're like. <laughs> It does. It does. No, it's not. I don't think it's because we've heard it in the U.S. It's just because it became such a a thing. A thing during the pandemic. Like, I think the pandemic yeah. unearthed a lot of shit. A lot of suppressed things. Yeah, I was not aware of any of this. I lived a very sheltered life. And, oh, really? And I was just like, "What? What's <laughs> happening? This happens." Like, but Markham Unionville is a bubble. It, it, Richmond Hill is a bigger bubble <laughs> of age. No, Richmond Hill is diverse. Though. Is it? No. Okay. East of Bayview <laughs> or west of Bayview is like yes, completely different. Correct. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, but I'm I'm east of Bayview. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I am too. I'm too. I I'm just on the border between Markham and Richmond Hill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. I think it's yeah. Our parents were in survival mode, so like we're just didn't get that opportunity. My generation is the first generation to go to university. Okay. My mom didn't, I think my dad didn't even go to high school. Oh, wow. Most of his siblings didn't go to high school. But he, it's funny because a lot of my uncles that didn't go to school, I don't know how to read because they had to raise the family when the house burned down. They're actually the most successful. You know, they got grit. It's grit. You just, you know, it's like what I mentioned before, you, you're on that entrepreneurial path and you need to be tenacious. You just got to keep going because you have no choice. There's no, there's nothing to fall back on, right? It's, it's you know, one way. Yeah, and there's this idea where like university doesn't prep you for- The real world. Yeah, it's just, it's a conformity almost. Like school, ed- the education system doesn't really teach. Mm. It just teaches you how to be in this society the way it is so you can get by. Like it doesn't- Yes. Uh, yeah. I think like, so for me, like, you know how a lot of people say the university degree is just a piece of paper? I disagree with that. Because it does shape the way you think. So the way you process problems later in life, you look at different. I look at everything from like a like a story perspective, a technical perspective. How can we fine tune it? How do we add value? You know, it's always been the way I think. Whenever someone says, oh, I have a problem. And my mind just starts spinning. You know, but that's because of the nature of my, I guess, my formal training. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, and, and it's the same. Formal training can be anything though, right? Could be school, could be like, you know. Mine was my family business. Exactly. But but the way you would approach a problem, if someone said to you, I have a problem, you would have different solutions than what I would have, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the difference. But you're right in the sense that like coming out of university, you have no fucking clue what you're doing, right? Like that's why the first app I built was trying to address that was to really um, 
focus on students' problems, you know, and creating content for that. Yeah. 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 So I was trying to build an app for that, but Toronto doesn't fund anything. So. <laughs> but, but re- reality is, yeah, you, people come out and they're just trying to be in the rat race. They're like, oh, I can't wait to be in the rat race. Once you're in the rat race, you're like, I can't wait to get out of the rat race. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's just evolution. 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 Yeah. Evolution of life. Yeah. But it's good though. You, you didn't end up in the rat race. No, I didn't. But I kind of want it. Sometimes I want to enter it. I don't know why. I think it's just like that lack of experience in it. In the rat race, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. You just want to eat. <laughs> like, I, I only interviewed for one job in my life. It was wow. a summer position at a law firm. <laughs> it was like handed to me this job because he was a customer of ours. Oh, really? It was, yeah. It was just like, I need a summer job. He's like, okay, come, come like enter stuff into our database. I was like, sure. Like it was so chill. I've never interviewed in my life. Well, lucky you. <laughs> no, it's terrible. <laughs> this is like a rich person's problem. I've never suffered before. No. Suffering. <laughs> no, it's a skill. Interviewing is a skill. Like what it's if I need tough. to do it later on? I don't have. Probably not. I mean, you don't like, they'll ask you, oh, what have you done? And you're like, well, if I worked on all this and built the company. I'm like, okay, you're hired. But no, like, my first job I ever tried to apply for, I think it was 15. I applied to McDonald's. I rejected. Oh, you got rejected at McDonald's? <laughs> they, they used to have these slips and you would fill it out. And then the, the, you had the manager. Your manager is like, kind of like, okay. <laughs> never called me. <laughs> I was like, fuck me. I was like, oh man. They're like, dude, like, I think the slip said, do you have a resume? I'm like, fuck's a resume? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, ironically, I became a farm tech at 17. Yeah. After like, I worked for free for like a month. So working for free has actually it been- It works. It shows people what you can do when they're yeah. not ready to commit into you. Yeah. Invest into you, I mean. I spent like a month before I got my first paying shift. And honestly, like I, I don't come from money or anything. So I remember like the first $50 I got, I was like, oh, I felt so rich. Yeah. <laughs> it, it felt good. I mean, you're like 17, 18 years like, yay. And, you know, I mean, good for better or worse, I, I really was about to like just focus on working because- you just don't realize how much money there is out there people can make, right? Like at like $18, $19 an hour, you're like, you feel great, you know? You were making bank. My first job, I was a lifeguard at the community okay. pool. Yeah. I think I got paid $14 oh. an hour. And farm tech, I was at 12 Okay. Yeah. And I thought that was amazing. Right. Minimum wage was like, what, $7? Yeah. And I was just like, yo, look at me. I'm a high school kid making. <laughs> but well, 14, when the minimum wage was seven, you, if you converted today, probably like 20 something. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, I mean, you know, it's just inflation. <laughs> but you were technically making bank. You were making equivalent of someone that was probably in the 40K range. Yeah. But the, you only got like part time hours, yeah, like yeah. morning yeah. here, afternoon there. I was working like, 40 hours a week and you know that was fun i mean that, that, like that that's the kind of like the, the maslow chart you're working up on maslow's chart well i appreciate you coming on today it's good to uh learn about you after all this time yeah thanks so much for inviting me i had a lot of fun <laughs> i'm glad you did but you know hopefully you can come back and we have another conversation about other topics yeah talk about the stuff we actually talk about <laughs> <laughs> all the stuff that you know is uh you think is more important. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. You guys, everyone tune into the show. Is there a subscribe? There's a subscribe button. Oh, subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys for tuning in and uh, we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Bye.